Our text today is going to be Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39. So as I told the children, and I know you were listening, so it was for you as well, our baptism is not to be just a past event that we remember or we do not remember. Maybe you remember your baptism because I wasn't raised in church. I wasn't baptized. I didn't go to church as a child. And so when I came to faith in Christ at the age of 23, I was baptized then. Actually, it was about a year after I came to faith in Christ. So I would have been about 24 when I was baptized. And I remember my bap- baptism very well. And I used to really think that remembering your baptism was a really important thing. But what's really important is to know that you have been baptized and to know what your baptism means. And so our baptism is not just a past event that we're, that we're to remember or maybe you don't remember. And what does that mean for your life? Well, your baptism has meaning for your life. Baptism is not just a box that we check off, but it's a reality in Christ that is to inform us every day as to how we are to live our life. It informs us, it reminds us of who we belong to and who is our life. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39. This is our text today. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, these are the words of the apostle Peter, after he had been filled with the Spirit and come down from the upper room. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would, by your Spirit today, illuminate your word. Open our ears, our eyes, our hearts, and our minds Lord, by your Spirit, work in us to mold us and to shape us, to conform us to the very image of Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you it is the power of God to salvation. We thank you for the baptisms that we will, Lord, perform here today and witness here today. And we thank you for what baptism represents and what it means for our life today. Father, may we, as your people, as your church, glorify you through our lives in this world. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So when the gospel is preached, the gospel provokes a response, and this is what we see here in the book of Acts. So after the ascension of Jesus, Jesus commands his disciples to go and wait, to go and tarry in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So they were waiting to receive the Spirit, the promise of the Father. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were in the upper room, they were filled in that room, and they came down from that room filled with the Spirit declaring the wonderful works of God. 
and all that were gathered in Jerusalem as they heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind, as they heard the commotion, all that gathered, the scripture says that they heard these disciples of Jesus proclaiming the wonderful works of God, each in their own language. And then Acts lists all the nations, not all of them, but there were men from every known nation of the world at that time in Jerusalem. Now, as Peter and the disciples were declaring the wonderful works of God, and those, those men were listening, some of them mocked them and said, these men are drunk with wine. And Peter very quickly corrects them, and Peter declares that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And under the inspiration of the Spirit, Peter preaches the gospel to these Jews assembled in Jerusalem from every nation. Why were they there from every nation? Because it was Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, was one of three annual feasts that Israel was commanded to not only observe, but in the observance of those feasts, every able-bodied Jewish male was to appear before the Lord in Jerusalem. And so there were literally men from all over the known world, Jewish men there celebrating the feast of Pentecost. There were not just men, but there would have been men with their families, men with their children. But you understand, it was the men that were called to assemble there. And so Peter preaches this message under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture tells us that 3,000 men were saved as a result of Peter's sermon that day. There were obviously many more men in Jerusalem that day who did not receive salvation. But the gospel always provokes a response. And we are guilty of thinking that the response of the gospel is always acceptance. And that's not always the case. It's not that the gospel was only effective for 3,000 men who got saved and for the rest of the men, for the rest of the tens of thousands of, of men and Jews who had gathered in there for Pentecost, then the gospel had no effect on them. The gospel was powerless to them. That's not true. It did provoke a response. For 3,000, it provoked a response of salvation. But for the rest, it provoked a hardening of their hearts. As Jews from every nation gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. It filled the disciples of Jesus. And they were that day, as they were that day, we so today are called to live filled with the Holy Spirit, just as they were. Well, what does that mean? Well, some people say, well, it means you demonstrate certain gifts or you speak in tongues and, and you have gifts that you operate in. I'm not opposed to gifts as long as they're practiced in a biblical manner. But you do understand that a lot of those gifts that we think we just get to pick and choose, we don't pick and choose. In fact, the scripture tells us that is the Holy Spirit that picks and chooses who will operate in those gifts. That day, the gift of tongues was in operation because there were men there from various nations and the miracle, either of them speaking in those languages or those men hearing in their own languages, 
It doesn't really matter. It was a miracle from God. And the point here is that a spirit-filled life is not a life filled with gifts. A spirit-filled life is a life that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It's a life lived under the control of the Spirit. And the true measure of our spirituality, if we want to use that term, is more about the fruit of the Spirit than it is the gifts of the Spirit. What is needed in the church most today are not some spiritual gifts to be operating. It is the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest in God's people. If you need to operate in a certain gift, don't worry. God will do according to His plan and purpose what needs to be done. And those are rare exceptions. I do believe in miracles. I believe miracles happen all around us all the time. We're just blind to them because they're so commonplace. Your life is a miracle. The fact that you're here today, I believe, is a miracle. You didn't get here on your own. You got here by the grace of God, whether you realize it or not. And so there are miracles that happen all around us. We just want to be in tune to those really special things like, you know, well, if I could see God raise someone from the dead, then I'd believe in him. No, you wouldn't. Because God did raise Jesus from the dead, and you still don't believe in him. Well, yeah, but I didn't see that with my own eyes. It doesn't matter. There were plenty of people who saw Jesus with their own eyes, even the risen Christ, that still reject him or did reject him. And it's not our physical seeing that is most important. It is our sight by faith. And this is how we see Jesus today. We don't see Jesus in a physical way. We see Jesus by faith. The same way Abraham saw him. The same way all the patriarchs saw him. The same way we are to see him today by faith. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus through faith, by the grace of God. And so that day in Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved, the Bible tells us. They were men from all over the world, and there was a demonstration of the Spirit and the power there. The greatest demonstration was, was not men speaking in tongues. The greatest demonstration was the salvation of 3,000 men. Men who were blind to their Messiah, who now had their blind eyes open, were, were able to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord. And cried out in repentance, what shall we do? Peter preaches this message powerfully and publicly to these assembled Jews. And the message that Peter preached cut to the heart of these men. And it provoked many of these men to cry out for an answer to their sin. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? The only answer to the question of our sin is Christ. And that is exactly who Peter pointed these men to. Those men whose hearts were cut cried out to Peter and the other apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And the answer that Peter gave to them was Christ. Christ not only in word, but in deed. Verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today in our culture, and sadly in too many of our churches, 
many profess the name of Jesus, claiming to believe in Christ, but much of what we see are words with no corresponding action and no change of life. And without action, I think you would all agree that talk is cheap. My wife reminds me, if you really love me, take out the trash without me having to ask you. So I can tell my wife I love her all the time, but what really speaks love to her is not what I say, it's what I do. And so pray for me, I'm still working on that. I'm trying to get better at it. But the point is, words without actions really don't mean very much. The first word of Peter's answer to the cry of those men's question was, repent. Contrary to what many believe today, repentance is not simply feeling sorry. To repent means an action. It's an action, not only an emotion. No matter how intense that emotion may be, no matter how sorry you may be, repentance is not how sorry you feel. Repentance is what you do as a result of that conviction of sin. To repent means to change one's mind and thought. Repentance is a change in the way and the direction of one's life. Very plainly, repentance is a change of heart and mind and action consistent with Christ and His Word. When you're baptized into Jesus Christ, your life should be consistent with that baptism into that name. In other words, your name, your life should look like the name of the one you were baptized into. That's why your baptism still matters today. Whether you can remember it or not, it matters because it means that you are identified, you are initiated into someone in something that has meaning and purpose eternally. Our baptism eternally matters. Not because baptism saves us, because baptism does not save us. But baptism speaks of who we belong to. If I confess that I belong to Jesus, and that Jesus is my Lord, and I put my, my water where my mouth is, and I get baptized into Jesus then there is a rightful expectation that my life is to look like Jesus. Now, that doesn't happen overnight, obviously. But the question is, are we growing up into him in all things? Repentance is a change of life. Consistent with Christ and his word. Repentance is what the gospel produces in all who receive it and all who love it and embrace it. Repentance is not a one and done. Very often it's a here we go again, over and over and over. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm going to confess to you right now. There are very few sins in my life that I'm one and done with. Most of them I find myself having to repent over and over and over again and asking for God's grace to help me grow up into Christ in those areas. And just when I think, praise God, I got victory in this area, guess what? The Holy Spirit shines a, 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 His light on another area of my life that I realize that I need to submit to God and, and seek His grace to help grow in. This is what repentance is. This is what repentance means. God is long-suffering with our sin. And we too need to be long-suffering with ourselves and others as we patiently and consistently apply God's word to our life as we walk out our faith 
and humble yet joyful repentance before God. Those who get baptized here today, nothing magic about the water that we're going to pour over them or the water we're going to immerse them into. There's no magic in the water. But the water speaks of something real and powerful. And the water means that we are to consistently and faithfully commit ourselves to Christ and to whom we've been baptized into. Parents, your children are dependent upon you to help them with that, to raise them up in obedience to the Word of God and the fear and nurture of the Lord. They're your disciples and their baptism is powerful and meaningful. And they may not remember the day they were baptized, but they should grow up knowing that they were baptized into the name of Jesus and their life is to look like Jesus. As Alden says, to be a representation of Jesus. And that's true whether you're three weeks old or whether you're 33 years old or 103 years old. It's true for all of us. So we need to be long-suffering and patient with ourselves and with others. We need to patiently and consistently apply God's Word to our life as we walk out our faith. As we walk out our faith humbly and joyfully. Don't forget joy. Joy and humility are not mutually exclusive things. We should be humbly joyful. We should be joyfully humble. The gospel provokes us to such a lifestyle centered in Christ and in his word. And the spirit empowers us to live it, to walk it out. To repent is to love and to obey Christ. To repent is to turn from sin and turn to Christ. Peter points to Christ in repentance that produces action. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism was the first action of their repentance. And the Bible tells us that that day those men were baptized. Now you can figure out how that happened. You can figure out and think about what mode of baptism that was. But the point is that day 3,000 men were baptized. That's a lot of people. I mean, I'm going to baptize six today. I can't imagine baptizing 3,000, but the Bible says 3,000 were baptized that day. Repentance was not just, I'm sorry I crucified the Lord and Christ. The gospel demands a change. It demands repentance, not just sorrow for sin. Our active, purposeful turning away from sin is what repentance means, and it's what repentance demands. That is the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. True repentance requires and results in action that is not only possible or that is possible only by God's grace. I want you to hear this. Your repentance is not just an act of your will. It is an act of your will. But that act of your will to repent, to turn from sin and to turn to Christ is also the act of God's grace, the product of God's grace. In other words, you're never going to turn from sin and turn to Christ without the grace of God. Our turning from sin is the reality of God's grace working in our life by 
the power of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of sin. People come to me sometimes and say, Pastor, I, I struggle with sin and I can't seem to get victory over it. Do you think I'm really saved? I said, well, are you sad about your sin? Well, yeah, yeah, I hate it. Uh, do, you, do you take it to God? Yeah, I take it to him all the time. I mean, I'm, I don't know what to do. I just keep taking it to God and I keep having problems. I said, so would it be fair to say that you're convicted about your sin? Yes, I'm terribly convicted about my sin then you don't have to worry about whether you're saved or not. Whether you have the Holy Spirit living in you, if you are actively convicted for your sin and you're actively taking your sin to Jesus. Now I understand we want victory over those things in our life that we call sinful, that are sinful. But I also want you to understand that the very conviction of sin, the very sorrow, godly sorrow, about the sin in your life and taking that sin to God consistently is a sign. I believe that the Holy Spirit is in you, working in you, molding you, shaping you, conforming you to the very image of Jesus Christ. If it was that easy for us in our flesh to just conquer sin and get rid of all our bad habits and all of our sins, think about how wonderful the world would be. It's not. We're all works in progress here on earth. But what we need to know, what we need to understand is the most important work that has taken place, that is already finished, is the work Jesus did on our behalf at the cross, the life he gave up, the blood he shed, the forgiveness that we have as a result of God's grace. And it is our privilege that we get to go to the throne of grace to give God our sin to take our sin before him and say, God, here is my sin again. And the Bible tells us very plainly that if we confess our sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the grace of God. I had a pastor friend tell me, if I believed grace the way you did, pastor, I'd never preach it because I'd be giving my people a license to sin. And I said, well... I got news for you. Your people don't need a license to sin. They're born in sin and it comes natural. You don't have to teach anyone or give anyone a license for it. It just is natural. And when we really grasp the grace of God, our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that it's not what we have done, it's what Christ has done. When we grasp that, I promise you, that revelation of God's grace will not motivate you to sin. It will do the exact opposite. And it will motivate you to live as Jesus lived, to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what it will do. Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. The sacrament of baptism ties the act of man to the promise of God. That's what baptism does. It ties the act of man to the promise of God. Baptism is a point of obedience to Christ. Baptism identifies us as God's covenant people. That means all who receive the sign of the covenant at any age are counted as God's covenant people. This was true concerning circumcision under the old covenant. This is true for baptism under the new covenant, a better covenant based on better promises. None of this precludes the grace of God. 
On the contrary, there is no salvation apart from God's grace. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter says. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that awakens us to repentance and faith in Christ. You couldn't even want to repent. Those men could not cry out, what must we do without the Holy Spirit? It is the Holy Spirit that awakens us. But more than awaken us, the Holy Spirit fills us. The work of the Spirit makes us new creations. His amazing grace does not preclude our obedience to Christ. It demands it. And so the Holy Spirit that now indwells us, indeed the Bible says be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit indwells you, but whether you're filled with the Spirit is determined by how you live your life. Now I'm not saying you have some of the Spirit and if you live it better you'll get more of the Spirit. No. It's not how much of the Spirit you have, it's how much of you the Spirit has. How surrendered are you to the Holy Spirit? That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be surrendered. And if you find yourself struggling with surrendering to the Spirit of God, to Christ and the Word of Christ, this is where we cry out to God and we ask for His grace to help us. With the gift of the Holy Spirit comes all the accompanying benefits of the Spirit. This is most prominently manifest in the fruit of the Spirit produced in varying degrees in the life of all who have the Spirit. So if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in your life in varying degrees. It doesn't mean you don't have the Spirit. It means that you are still working on surrendering yourself to the Spirit. And... It's not just you working. It is the Spirit in you who is working. Remember Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is what we are to do. But he follows that immediately with, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So while you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, while you're trying to be a more fruitful branch in the true vine... Know that the Spirit in you is working. Know that God is working in you to do according to His will and His purpose. This is the comfort we have. This is the assurance we have as the elect of God. That God is not going to just one day wake up and say, you know, you've struggled so long with this sin, I think I'm done with you. You're gone. No. There are a lot of people who believe that is who God is. And that is not who God is. How do I know that? Because I know what the Bible teaches about God. When God chose you before the foundation of the world, do you not think he knew everything you would ever do? Of course he did. If he didn't, he's not God. To believe in Christ, to trust in Christ, is to obey Christ. The Spirit produces the fruit in us. It's not Nine fruit, it's nine characteristics that Paul gives us in Galatians that describe what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Think of the gift 
that is. If you just think of each one of those attributes of the Spirit, think of the gift that is to your life. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I meet people quite frequently who have never experienced real love or gentleness or kindness. There's more of them out there than you realize. And we are to be the witness of Christ in the earth to show them not the world's definition of love, not the world's definition of peace or joy, but God's definition. Not found in, a, in an emotion, but found in a person. Jesus is God's love personified. Jesus is our peace. He himself is our peace. He is our joy. We could go down and look at all these attributes. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us in Christ. Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Think of this gift with its fruit increasing and becoming more and more prominent in the life of the church and its members. This is what the world needs. To believe in Christ is to trust Christ. To trust Christ is to love Christ. To love Christ is to obey Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, obey my commandments. Love is the ultimate manifestation of the Spirit's fruit in the life of the church and in the life of every believer. Our baptism and our continued obedience as we are growing up into Christ in all things speaks of the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is true for all who are baptized into Jesus Christ, for all who live consistent with their baptism. Peter says the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. To Jews, yes, but also to Gentiles. To as many and to all who the Lord may call. The sacrament of baptism ties the act of man to the promise of God. God has made promises to his people. He's made promises to their children. He's made promises to as many and he will call into all who he has called. God makes promises to parents concerning their children. And parents, not just parents who are baptizing their children today, but parents of young children, parents of adult children. I have parents that come to me quite frequently and say, pray for my adult child who has departed from Christ or who doesn't believe in Christ. Parents, Trust the promises of God for your children. They're not automatically saved because they're your children, but God has given you promises as their parents if you are indeed trusting Christ yourself. God makes promises to parents concerning their children. Here Peter declares the promise of the Holy Spirit and all that promise holds. It is to you and to your children. He's speaking about the promise of the Father. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit there. But think about what the Holy Spirit does. When you receive the Holy Spirit, what happens to you? Well, you're saved. You can't be saved without receiving the Holy Spirit. There is no salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. The only way you can be made a new creation is by the Spirit. 
So we can say, yes, this promise specifically is the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we can also say this promise is the promise of salvation. And who is the promise of salvation? It's to you, it's to your children, it's to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord will call. That promise is to all the Lord will call. The Lord's promise to all. This is the promise of God to all his people, Jew and Gentile, old and young, rich and poor, to as many and to all the Lord our God will call. When adults come to faith in Christ, we see in these verses in Acts chapter 2, in these 3,000 men that were added to the church that day, they were all older men, or they were all at least men old enough, young men to old men, old enough to come and keep the feast. And in Acts chapter 2, we see them baptized as an obedient act of their will upon their profession of faith. We understand that they are themselves acting in obedience to Christ by God's grace. From a heart of faith, they put their water where their mouth is. We could say it like that. When parents bring a child for baptism, especially an infant or a young child, we see that child baptized as an obedient act of their parents' faith, and their parents' will for the life of that child upon the profession of faith of those parents. We understand that those parents are themselves acting in obedience to Christ by God's grace. From a heart of faith, they put their water where their mouth is on behalf of their children. God elects us and chooses us when he sees how good disciples we're going to be. No. God elects us and chooses us before the foundation of the world. While we know nothing of it, He brings us into being. He leads us and guides us and nurtures us. In His plan and for His purpose, He works all things for our good and for His glory. A parent who brings their child to the waters of baptism does the very same thing, trusting in God's providence and grace on behalf of that child. God loved and chose us, and so we may now love and choose him. A parent obeys God and chooses for their child with a faithful expectation their child will one day choose Christ. This is not presumption on the part of the parent. It is obedience to God and to his word concerning their responsibility as parents to raise up their children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. God's charge to us all is that we believe his promise for us, for our children, and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. In believing God's promise to a thousand generations in obedience to Christ, we will initiate into the covenant today through baptism six precious souls. Praise God. So we're going to get ready um, for our baptisms. We're going to have one immersion. And we are going to go ahead and uh, immerse Trey in baptism. And then the others are going, uh, we will pour. Uh, So Trey uh, and Jay, you might go with him uh, over here and just help him get changed. And then I'm going to get changed. And then I'm going to baptize Trey And then Trey's little brother and little sister and mother are going to get baptized today. And so when when I come back, 
then we're going to baptize mom and his siblings. And then we're going to baptize little Oakley and little Ellie from the Ulmer household today. So two baptisms from two different households today. So uh, patiently wait and we will uh, be right back. Please stand. You're charged today, just as our words of faith are to be accompanied by works of faith, our life is to, be, is to reflect the name that we are baptized into. All of these today that you witnessed in baptism have been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Having been baptized into Christ, Our lives, all of our lives who are baptized into Christ, is to reflect our baptism. By His grace, in our obedience, our life is to reflect Christ as bright, as loud, and as powerfully as possible. If you have been baptized into Christ, this is what your baptism demands. This is what Christ, our Lord, demands. This is the witness of His church. May we ever boldly and brightly shine and give him glory, and to him be all the glory. Amen. Let's sing our thanksgiving. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you.